Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Tonight, we're holding a pop-up panel discussion about travel and tourism in the Central Valley and why you should visit the place. It's often referred to as that place halfway between San Francisco and Lake Tahoe, but that's changing as more people from the Bay Area, the rest of California, and even overseas come to enjoy the farm-to-fork foodie scene and the new wine country regions getting worldwide attention. We're going to talk with a few people leading the efforts to boost tourism efforts in Sacramento and the Central Valley and show them off as destinations to visit, wine and dine in, and even relocate to. What does it take to get these places on the map? What's the payoff and the pitfalls for the people who currently live there? And how will toting these places now transform what they'll be like in the future? Join us for a great conversation about Central Valley tourism and how it's making an impact on the region. Hi everyone, welcome to California Groundbreakers. We're a civic engagement organization focused on innovators doing groundbreaking things around the state of California. My name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm the executive director of California Groundbreakers. Uh, we hold cool events focused on innovative things, like I said, around the city of Sacramento. Tonight we're at Antiquity Midtown, which is a lovely space. Um, and we have drinks from local places like Roostaller, Burley Beverages, Can Can Cocktails. And the reason I'm saying that is they are uh, three of the reasons why this region is so great, along with wine, food, uh, the river. And that's the, basically the t part of the topic of tonight's pop-up panel is why you should visit here, try these things, eat these things, uh, drink these drinks, and stay a while, maybe for, for the long term. We're gonna be talking about travel and tourism in the Central Valley. Um, the Central Valley is, I think, a place where if many of you grew up here like me, uh, people drove through it from other places to get to Tahoe, to San Francisco, uh, to Yosemite, and maybe just went through it as fast as they could. But obviously we've been getting more attention these days as a affordable place to live for uh, people from the Bay Area who are... Uh, being priced out, but also I feel like I'm reading stories about uh, Sacramento, towns like Winters and Yolo in national media, uh, everywhere from the New York Times and the Washington Post to wine enthusiasts, I guess it named Yolo the wine region of the year in 2015. USA Today, just a couple months ago, named uh, Winters number four on its list of small town foodie destinations. It beat out Yonville, which has French laundry, so I thought that was a reason for you to celebrate. Um, but basically we are getting a lot of buzz and I feel like we are seeing more people from uh, all over California, this, uh, the, the nation and the world to come here and try our wine and our farm to fork. So we're here tonight with a few people who are behind all these efforts to do so, uh, to pr uh, promote tourism and travel here in the area, ask them about how it's going, what's working, what needs work, and also, I think for those of us who live in this area, how successful tourism efforts affect us in the short term and long term, and for better, for worse, depending on how you view it. Uh, before I start asking questions to the panelists, of course, I want to give a few special thanks to people who helped make this event possible. 
uh, along uh, with me. Um, like I mentioned, we are holding this event at Antiquity Midtown, so I always have to say special thanks to Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose, the owners, for hosting us. Thank you very much. Also, a very special thanks to the person who provided the food tonight, uh, which is behind the guests. That is Yvonne Richardson, AKA my mom. Um, she did an excellent job. So thank you, mom. Uh, also, the people I met um, who provided the drinks for us. Uh, Roost Dollar Beer, J.E. Pena from, is the owner. Burley Beverages, uh, the owner is Gabriel Aiello. And Mike Rains of Can Can Cocktails. Uh, and also Matt Kennedy, the trade. They are our uh, preferred vendors. So I wanted to say thank you. Of course, to our volunteers extraordinaire, Nicole Grant Krieg, Rodrigo Ramirez, and Nate Graham. Also to Caleb Clark of Kickstart Audio for recording this event as a podcast and putting the pub in line. Uh, special thanks, of course, to Visit Sacramento, Visit Lodi, Visit Winters, the three travel organizations of these towns we're going to talk about that donated the great door prizes that uh, the live audience will be able to partake of. And uh, of course, to the panelists, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule and to you, the audience, for taking time out of your uh, busy time as well. Appreciate it. Uh, and of course, the 30 minutes is, uh, first the 30 minutes is questions from me, 30 minutes of audience Q&A. So we have four people up here on the panel, and I always let them introduce themselves. Obviously, I ask your name, your current role and organization, and for a personal note about you, since we're going to be talking about travel in the Central Valley, I wanted to ask each of you about a favorite Central Valley travel destination, um, summer, winter, spring, fall, whatever, that you love to visit that is not in your own region. So when you get out of town, where do you like to go in the Central Valley? So I'm going to start with the gentleman on my left. I'm Rob Stewart, and I work for PBS, KVIE, which is your public television station, um, if you live in the Northern California region, which is America's greatest playground, Northern California. And my job is to profile it and to experience it and to take you with me wherever I go. So I'm the host and producer of Rob on the Road. And how many years has it been? We're in our 10th consecutive season. Congratulations. I know you recently celebrated a, the 10-year mark. We just hit our 10-year 10, 10 mark, which is good in TV terms. Keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> and so, yes, a favorite. So let's just say someplace that you, when, the, when the cameras are not rolling that you like to go in the Central Valley. Oh, wow. There's, there really are so many. For, um, for rest and relaxation, um, I love to go to Safari West in Santa Rosa um, and hear the sounds and the call of the wild. It's a sanctuary for animals. And I also love Paws Art 2000, which is in San Andreas. And it's elephants and bears and tigers. P-A-W-S, P-A-W-S, Performing Animal Warefell Society. Great, thank you. Next gentleman. Uh, hi, I'm John Donlevy. I'm the city manager of the city of Winters, and I've been there for 18 years. And uh, if you don't know what a city manager does, for the most part, I am the uh, basically the CEO of the city. Now, in Winters, small town, small staff, many hats. And uh, a lot of the things I've done, uh, economic development, uh, I'm literally I'm the city manager, the uh, economic development guy, the public works director, and the planning director. I can tell you that the efficiency of getting things done in winters is very easy. Uh, <laughs> the overall bureaucracy is very limited. So uh, the ability, uh, I always tell the story of when the Palm 
Palms Playhouse came to Winners. They sat there and, and they said, well, uh, as I was meeting with them, they go, well, um, who else do we need to meet with? And I, I just said, well, who else do you want to meet with? Uh, as we were talking about uh, um, basically approving their project to move from Davis to Winters. And they go, you're the only one? I go, well, yep, that's about it. So uh, two months later, they opened in winter. So it was great. I bet a lot of city officials are jealous of you. And I see a few heads nodding there. Uh, and then when you get out of winters, where do you like to go? What's your favorite destination? Okay, so I, I will tell you, the past 18 years, it's been all about winters and developing. And I like to go and see what other cities are doing. I'm a fan uh, of a lot of them. Uh, I'll say something nice about Lodi. Lodi has done just a tremendous job. Uh, my father was actually the city manager of Galter in the 1980s. So um, I saw Lodi before Lodi became Lodi right now. Uh, but also I like going up into the gold country. I think Murphy's uh, is, is, is right there. If you go over to places, Placerville and, and uh, Grass Valley are, are doing a very good job in, in what they're doing with their towns. Uh, and I will tell you, I think the emerging town that uh, they've got a great team in doing things uh, is over in Woodland. Uh, Woodland is, their downtown is emerging. They're a little bit larger uh, than uh, cities like Winters, but uh, they are, each one of them are, are taking the niche of being that really great uh, Central Valley towns that people are looking to come to. So um, uh, I go and I, I gawk and I look and I steal ideas and uh, I, I do that all the time. No original ideas. I have no guilt on that. And it's, it's all about stealing. And cost effective, yes. Uh, good evening. My name is Mike Testa. I'm the president and CEO of Visit Sacramento. I've been with the organization for 18 years. Um, I've been in my current role for two years as of July 1st. Um, I feel pretty fortunate to be in, in this position uh, currently because Sacramento is such a different place than it was even five years ago. There's so much more to talk about. For so long, we hung our hat on being the, the capital of the gold rush of 1849. And while that certainly has merit and certainly has some fans from around the world who love history and who love the gold rush, it was a fairly narrow audience that was attracted to that. So to be able to talk about everything from you know the Golden One Center to the River Cats and Farm to Fork and the restaurant scene and everything in between um, has been incredibly gratifying. And you look at things like the Michelin Guide entering this market and it shows you how different the culinary scene is, is perceived. So I'm um, excited to be here and, uh, and talk to you all. And when you get out of town, where do so, you go? So I, I don't know if I'm going to stick to Central California. I obviously love Lake Tahoe as everybody else does. And then my answer is probably a little odd in the sense that I'm going to say Bakersfield. And I say that because my roommate from college, who is my best friend, used to be the biggest champion for Bakersfield. And we used to give him such a hard time because, you know, it's Bakersfield. But as I got to know him, I really appreciated the passion that he had for it. He's a, he's a doctor, and his goal was always to get back to Bakersfield. And we'd always talk to him, say, well, what about Los Angeles or San Francisco? But it was always Bakersfield. And as I've spent time there, it's a cool little city. They've got, you know, some really old historic Italian delis and some really good restaurants. And it reminded me that sometimes the impression that we have of cities, whether it's a Fresno or a Bakersfield, um, are not accurate all the time, especially once you, once you go and spend time there. So I always encourage people, San Francisco's great, but there's a lot of small towns throughout California that are very interesting. So we may see a sunset uh, destination spread on Bakersfield in the next hot place in a few years or so? You very well may. All right, our last panelist. 
Great. I'm Nancy Beckman. I'm the president and CEO of the Visit Lodi Conference and Visitors Bureau. And I also have been uh, in my organization for 18 years. I've been running it for 18 years. Uh, so I've seen some amazing changes in Lodi over that time. Um, as far as what I like to do when I get away or where I like to go, do we want to keep to the Central Valley? How about or? Northern California? But if there's, yeah. You know, Just, honestly, yeah, I thought about I thought about within the Central Valley, and that was a really hard choice because there are so many great things to see and do. And if I was sticking to that, it would be Sacramento. My husband and I love to come up here and go to theater and to the restaurants. But, um, you know, we like to go out, and uh, when we get away, we do a lot of camping during the summer months. We love to go over to the coast. And uh, other than that, we like to go big and go to Europe. Great. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so I have a question for each of you, and I'm going to start with Mike. I'm going to follow up on your intro about new things um, and new attractions and new tourism efforts that you and Visit Sacramento are working on these days. Um, that's part one of the question. And then I guess, uh, who are you trying to attract and how do you pitch Sacramento to, the, to them? So what's the, you know, the, the, the nut graph that you use to say Sacramento is this? Um, so what, why don't we start with part one? Okay. What new and notable things are you working on? So it's not necessarily new, but Farm to Fork is something that's at the top of our list. You know, we, we started this in 2012 along with Mayor Johnson named Sacramento America's Farm to Fork Capital. And, and the reason that we did that is because agriculture is the industry in, in Sacramento. And, you know, there, there were a lot of folks who we, we changed the, the water tower on I-5 and you would have thought that I went door to door confiscating everybody's liquor because they were just furious at that. But the, the challenge for us was there are 30 cities across the world, including seven in California, that identify as the city of trees. So it wasn't a unique moniker or identity for Sacramento. And that doesn't mean we're not the city of trees or that we're not the river city or that we're not all the things in our heritage. But what we do better than anywhere else is grow food. And that's really a, a regional thing. There's, you know, there's not a ton of farms in Sacramento. There are in Sacramento County, but it's, it's winters in the surrounding region. So what we saw with national media is that resonated with them, that there were a lot of cities claiming to have farm-to-fork restaurants. And my, my favorite example, I was in Washington, D.C. over Valentine's Day one year, and I was snowed in. And on the cover of their visitor guide is this farmer holding this bounty of produce, and they're farm-to-table scene. And I look outside, and there's like 15 feet of snow. And I'm thinking, where, where are you growing this farm-to-fork? And they're growing it in greenhouses, which is fine, but it's very different from California, where we have a year-round growing cycle. And so... Again, it became this, this identity that we could claim. And, and what had changed in Sacramento was suddenly the restaurants, the, the end user, um, the place where the end user went was of a different caliber. Suddenly we had all these restaurants that were um, you know, competing with restaurants all throughout California. And so again, the, the national media, when we started making this claim, if it wasn't true, if it wasn't authentic, they'd kill us for it. And they haven't done that. You know, as, as you open, there's been stories in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal, about Sacramento's food scene. So that's something that we continue to push. The other things we're doing, um, you know, the biggest driver of tourism in Sacramento is conventions. So the expansion of the convention center will allow us to go after different kinds of conventions. The, the challenge there is we need more hotel rooms. People say to me all the time, so you're going to get bigger conventions now. Well, maybe, maybe not. Right now, we're going to get two conventions at the same time, which we haven't had the ability to do, but we can't get bigger ones until we have more rooms to put the delegates in. So that's next on our list. And then the two other things we're working on is 
um, music festivals, which have done very well in Sacramento. We host the largest hard rock festival in California, and uh, it's called Aftershock. It's in October. It will go to three days this year, um, 35,000 people a day. Uh, more than 60% of them come from outside the market. Last year, they sold 560 tickets in Canada. So if heavy metal is your genre, it's worth getting on an airplane and coming to Sacramento for. <laughs> we're, we're working to add a country music festival probably in 2021 and the third one in 2023. Um, and then the last thing is sports fields. There's a ton of amateur sporting events that we can't compete with because we don't have the facilities to put them in. So to build a 12 to 21 field soccer complex where you can do soccer, rugby, lacrosse opens up a whole new platform of visitation for us. And, you know, we always say, and I'm sure everybody feels this way on this panel, tourism isn't about the tourist. It's about bringing in outside dollars that benefit the people who live here. And if you look at the projects that are being built in Sacramento right now, whether it's the old Sacramento waterfront, the Memorial Auditorium upgrade, the convention center expansion, all that is being paid from hotel tax. That's all coming from visitors. That's who's funding those projects. I forget and, the second part of your question, sorry. Well, and, and yes, I was going to say in the, in the well, I definitely in the two years since you've been CEO and, and maybe say two to five years, who, who has been attracted to, these, to this message and the attractions that you have promoted? Have you seen a change in demographics or a wider geographic range coming to town? We have certainly from, from the restaurant scene in Farm to Fork. And again, the Michelin Guide attracts a different caliber of traveler. There are people, especially from Asia, who travel for food and who use that Michelin Guide as their Bible when they travel. If you look at hotels that have been built like the Kimpton, that attracts a different um, level of, of visitor as well. But you know, all those things that I, I mentioned, whether it's conventions, music festivals, sports, um, restaurants, they all attract different demographics. And that's the idea. So people ask me, who do you guys market to? We market to everybody. We want you to come to Sacramento, stay in a hotel, spend your money in our restaurants, buy some souvenirs and go home and come back and do it again. So there's not a specific group that we go after. Conventions are obviously a specific group, but so are you know sporting groups and music festival attendees. So um, if you have money and you want to come to our community and spend it, Welcome. Great. Okay, Nancy, I'm going to ask you a very similar question about Lodi because it has seemed to have changed in the past 18 years since you started. And probably the usual article started off with the Credence Clearwater uh, revival, but now wine enthusiasts. So there's a. So I was wondering what the change that you have seen really in Lodi in terms of amenities uh, and the people coming uh, to town, and also maybe just the people who are offering these uh, tourism attractions, hotels, wineries, and so forth in Lodi. How has Lodi changed in this, say, the past decade or so? Well, just to give you an idea, when I started my job 18 years ago, Lodi had about eight wineries. We currently have 85. And uh, we didn't even have our wine trail at the time that I started. That was something that was developed in about 2001 when I first started my job. And of course, um, in 2015, wine enthusiasts named us as the wine region of the year out of the world. And uh, if you didn't know, this year we also, um, one of our winemakers, Adam Mettler from Mettler Family Vineyards and Michael David Winery was named as the winemaker of the year out of the world as well. Um, so we've gotten a, uh, that I think has been, um, has done a lot uh, in terms of, I think, elevating um, uh, Lodi in the mind of the wine industry and the wine consumer. 
um, as well as lent credibility to the message that we've been saying all along all of these years that Lodi Wines can keep company with the best wines in the world. A lot of people don't realize that all of those great Napa and Sonoma wines you've been drinking all these years, a lot of that is made with Lodi fruit. We uh, started off really as a, uh, a growing uh, area. In fact, we are the largest appellation in the state of California. Um, so over 18 years, we've seen a tremendous change in uh, just the sheer number of visitors that we get there. Um, what we have seen over the last couple of years, really over the last, I would say, three to uh, probably three to five years is that more and more now we see people who are coming from across the United States and Canada. It's not just California anymore. Um, and they're not coming because they're going to Tahoe and they happen to be driving down south and they're just passing through. When they come into the visitor center, they're actually telling us that you know, they were at their house and they had this amazing bottle of wine and they flipped it around to look at it and Lodi was on the label, so they went in and Googled us and came to Lodi because of that. We've had people from, I've had people from Texas who they love wine and this year their destination was Lodi. That's where they wanted to go for their, they were doing a three-day uh, weekend. So um, more and more we're seeing, we're seeing more people coming. We are seeing serious wine drinkers coming. We are seeing people that are uh, coming specifically to Lodi for Lodi and for our wine. The destination is also growing because of that. We have a lot of ancillary things that are starting to happen in our downtown. We now have, in addition to our 85 wineries, we have about 13 of those that are represented in the downtown area. We've got some great restaurants that are coming in. Um, uh, uh, cycling has become a big deal, and we also have, um, you know, we have the McCullamy River uh, that feeds into Lodi Lake that's right there in our town and so we're seeing more and more people that like to come and they like to either bring their bikes they bring their paddles or they rent paddle boards and they get out on the river and the lake so yeah great big changes and then another town that's getting a lot of the national attention winters uh like i had mentioned earlier usa today had in their top small town foodie destination list of 2018 winters was ranked number four i think yountville was number eight i just i just I just uh, thought that was very interesting because Yonville gets so much buzz. The French Laundry is there, for those of you who have, don't know or been. It's definitely a, a very small-town food destination. So I don't know how Winters felt about that. Uh, you could tell us, John. Uh, but one thing I noticed was when the Sacramento Bee profiled um, Winters as, as being that destination, they interviewed you about that. And you said one reason for that top ranking was because the city just stayed out of the way. And you referred to that in your intro. You're... You kind of wear all hats, um, and a lot of things go through you and maybe just you. And I was wondering then, based on that, as a city manager, what do you do or don't do to help Winters in its tourism efforts? Is it mostly just staying out of the way and just seeing where what, what sticks, or uh, do you have a, uh, a certain method now that Winters is getting more statewide attention, national attention? Okay, so I've, I've been the city manager for 18 years. And when I came, I, I came from Los Angeles area. And um, 
for the most part, the downtown Winters was uh, almost completely empty. We had one business, a very good business, the Buckhorn Steakhouse, and that was it. And we had these folks that I met that had this whole dream that they wanted to see a renaissance of, of downtown Winters. And I was the guy that was tasked with trying to figure it out and work with everybody. The key is really simple. You start to collaborate with folks, uh, working with the owners of the Buckhorn, with some of the property owners, getting people to sell their property. Literally one day I just got in the car, I drove down to Arcadia and I pleaded with somebody to sell one of the key properties in town. But some of the biggest things that I've learned is the importance of collaboration. I talk about getting out of the way. There are people out there that have great ideas and that don't necessarily mesh with the standard bureaucracy, with the way that cities do things. And in so many ways, there are things that the city can do, but there are all these people that literally have their livelihoods, everything sunk into that business. How can you make them successful? And I, I talk about um, with a lot of folks that in winters, we are very event-based. We have many, many uh, events that go on that attract people to winters. And uh, in so many ways, I talk about the collaboration. You've got all these business folks. that They're the ones writing checks. The one thing that government workers don't do very well is realize the idea of somebody writing from their own checkbook. And you want them to invest the money into the event that they're doing, but from the city side, there are some things that you can bring to the table. Things like when, when they have the event, dropping the barricades, no parking signs, all those types of things. The city can do that. You get some, that's your skin in the game. But probably one of the biggest things that I learned about winners is as Sacramento uh, is the farm to uh, for capital, uh, I would argue that winters in our area, we are the farm to Sacramento's fork <laughs> on things. And uh, the one thing that I quickly learned is that uh, the Winters area, we basically refer to it as the west of 505 going up into the Cape Valley. We grow the best food in the world. We simply are the best at producing products. We are very um, international, very Pacific Rim. Uh, most of the, the food that's grown in the uh, Winters and west of 505 is shipping all throughout uh, the Asian markets. And that brings an, uh, a, a huge business clientele coming to our area, but it also represents the excellence. Uh, in the Winters area, within our downtown, the whole mantra is having a higher quality of what we do. I tell folks, the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates of agriculture live in winters in our area. They are all these young guns, the next generation uh, agriculturalists that are doing things just better than anybody has ever done before. And the quality, quantity, what they do is just magical. For us, we have ridden that wave. Uh, our downtown is actually now twice as big as uh, uh, from when I, I came. Every business is, is, storefront is full and we've added it. But the biggest thing is focusing on quality. Don't sell your soul. Don't sell your vision. You know, I talk about the, the things that you do. Do have a vision. Do have standards. Don't just let anybody open up some 
business that's going to close. Every single storefront that is empty becomes a liability for you. So you want to help cultivate that. Um, and over the, the, the years, we've done that. And when you come to an event in, in winters, it feels just very organic, really nice, friendly. We can get away with some things in a small town that you can't necessarily get away with in a, a larger city. Um, as far as uh, we've got our Alberino Festival coming up, our, uh, basically a wine stroll. Uh, when you come to the various uh, Fourth Friday, literally Main Street, one big table, all these different foods uh, being produced. Um, we have the ability to have businesses from winter selling all their wares that they value added, all olive oil, jams and jellies, all the food is from winters. So when people come to uh, winters, we've learned they are getting to be, experience us. And that is the key. We become the destination. We become the, the location where people are going, hey, I went to winters. One of the biggest things that we've learned is to, to really push on social media on things. Uh, um, one of the things, I, I constantly get quoted for this, but um, I say, when the guy comes into your office and says that he wants to roast a pig out in the middle of Main Street, you say yes. Why? Because that pig is going to be on thousands and thousands of people's social media of the selfie with the pig on the spit. And pretty soon, you are all over the place. Um, one of our biggest attractions in the area besides Lake Berryessa is a hiking trail that's actually very difficult, by the way. Um, but uh, we went from about 20,000 people a year up to 100,000 people a year going to uh, this one hiking trail. And it's all about one thing. It's about dude and his girlfriend up on this rock with Lake Berryessa in the background and everybody geolocates that thing. And pretty soon my fire department is up there pulling these people down off of the hill <laughs> that they don't know. But the social media plays a huge role. The pig, the wine, the food, everything all comes together and, and, and it absolutely works. Great, thank you. Uh, Rob, I saved you for last. I wanted you to hear what uh, John, Mike, and Nancy said. So they had their focus on their specific towns and cities. You, over the past 10 years, have gone over all over, all over North California, Northern California, including um, these places. I wanted to ask what you've seen, especially in the last 10 years, you know, based on what Nancy, Mike, and John have said about their towns, what you have seen change. What what tourism trends stand out? What has changed? What has changed in terms of people coming? Uh, what they're looking for? Have you seen any notable um, things happening since you have started filming Rob on the Road? I have. I've, I've seen places move to catering to people who are looking for experiences. Everyone wants a great experience. And one thing Winters did so well was bring in bloggers to just saturate winters park winters just showed what they do to bloggers all across the board and i'm telling you people poured in and park winters is a high-end restaurant slash farm slash bnb it's a great to me it's an example of agritourism slash fine dining slash great living it's just a wonderful experience and that got so much buzz for that one location because you can watch a blog 
shoot to attention almost as much as a national television segment or exposure. It, it's ridiculous how that can happen. Um, the power of social media really is a big deal. Every place that I go in Northern California, I have pretty much to ask everybody where they're from. And rarely do I find someone from that area. I would say 90% of the time, even in Sacramento, that people are not from here. We just did a profile at Frank Fats. The, the tables were from, one was from Tahiti, brought there from the president of um, Produce Express, because we send our produce to Tahiti. Um, another location, there was someone there from Iran. And I just cannot believe not only the national exposure we're getting, but the international people that are coming to, to our region. You know, Clarksburg, I interviewed people at Clarksburg at, at the sugar mill, and there were people from Italy there and in Clarksburg, and they said, this looks like parts of Italy. Um, and I said, well, then I'll, when you're done here, go over to Amador County, because you'll see Tuscany over there. And it, it's just, we really do have within our reach so much to do. The trend I've seen happening the most is social media and the power that can happen. So for people who, are, who have a place for people to come to, if you put on a great experience, you let people have fun, you make it pretty, clean, safe, and, and the takeaway is the experience, they'll be your mouthpiece for you. They will say, come here, go there. Um, I think that farm to fork, you know, in my mother's town in South Carolina, a small town on the opposite side of the country, they sell and buy Lodi wines. Um, their wines are also from many parts of this region. I see it at my mom's house in South Carolina. They talk about farm to fork. And I think, and we've done a great job with farm to fork, I think we've barely scratched the surface. I think one day we'll hopefully see a, a vertical farm tower on Capitol Mall. Um, putting maybe our homeless population to a work and rehabilitation cycle. I mean, I think there are so many ways we can put our farm to fork status on the national map to solve some of our area's own problems that would be huge. Um, the, main, the main thing I see though is people coming from outside of our region and they're hearing about our area from a lot of places, including podcasts. Uh so yes, I wanted to follow with that with us, particularly you, Mike, and Nancy, because the, the the blogs and the media attention. Um, and I think someone told me, Mike, they read today in the well somewhere that this is Sacramento has uh, an idea for a movie or a short documentary. So maybe you can elaborate on that. But but yeah, what are you using in your respective uh, uh, visit? Uh, organizations to promote what has worked what have you seen really attract people in terms of social media whatever methods you use what hasn't worked so who would like to start Mike sure um, I think to Rob's point when you can get that critical mass of bloggers of uh, people coming on on familiarization trips to your town they do write about it and and you know that that doesn't mean that everything is perfect on their trip but people are looking for experiences that are different from where they live. And when you can give them that, when you can, you know, they, they most of these bloggers will do their research and, and find out what's special about this region and they'll see the, the, the food and the wine. And when they get here and when they taste it, um, nine times out of 10, they are so blown away by what is here that they just didn't expect that. And so 
there is, you know, I talk about this um, with, with the restaurants again. People expect me to say how great the restaurants are. That's my job. That's what I get paid to do. When Michelin says it, it's an entirely different level of credibility. When a food blogger says it, it is an entirely different level of credibility. We hosted a national food conference a, a couple years ago. And Nancy, I think you hosted the Wine Bloggers Conference. It was incredibly valuable to have these people from across the country eating in our restaurants and blogging about it. And, and part of the deal with hosting an event like that is... All 1,200 attendees were required to write at least three blogs on their experience in Sacramento. So you know at the very least you're getting thousands of articles about your city. And again, they're all very positive experiences. Social media has been incredibly valuable for smaller cities like Sacramento. You know, we're in California. We are dwarfed by San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Napa. There is a lot of competition here. I'm always jealous of Indianapolis because they're like the only game in Indiana. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I think for us that has been incredibly valuable. We also have a PR firm that we um, contract with out of New York City that drives a lot of these national stories for us. Um, you know, when you have somebody who's pitching the Wall Street Journal on your behalf or the New York Times, sometimes you're not on their radar. They know about Chicago and, and San Francisco, but they don't know about smaller towns like Sacramento. So when you can start educating them and then get them out here for events like the Tower Bridge Dinner, there was a, a great article in New York Magazine that came out a couple of months ago that was this fantastic profile on Sacramento. People would call us and say, did you see that? And I said, well, yeah, the writer was on the bridge in 2017. This is how this works. We flew her out here. We exposed her to the market. And this great article came about. So again, if you don't have, if it's not genuine in your city, they, they won't write about it. But to Rob's point, there's so much going on in this region that it's, it's real. And, and it, it's attractive to so many people. So we work very hard to get them to come here because once they come here, we know they're going to write something good. Nancy, what about you? I could, I could almost say ditto, although we're doing something on a much smaller scale uh, than Sacramento does. We uh, are obviously very active on social media. It's a big deal. We are producing a lot of video and pushing a lot of video because we know that that seems to where people are getting a lot of their information and that's getting a lot of attention for us. Um, we uh, also do uh, blogger tours. We do tour bloggers. Uh, one thing that we do a little bit different, we don't work with a uh, annually, I mean throughout the year with a PR firm, but one of the things that we do do is we work with a company that assists us in putting on a, an annual uh, travel writers tour. So we will every fall fly in uh, 20 travel writers from throughout the United States. They write for big publications like the Chicago Tribune and USA Today. And uh, we've had podcasts from NPR and Smithsonian and so many different things. Um, but we bring them in for, we fly them all in for four days, uh, put them up at the Wine and Roses, our resort uh, property in town. We give them a variety of activities, so it's not just about wine. Uh, certainly, they're, they're not specifically wine writers. They're travel writers. Uh, we do occasionally get the wine writer. Uh, but they have options every morning and afternoon of different things that they can see and do in Lodi. And we've had such phenomenal success with that. 
Um, the last time that uh, I checked our numbers, and we're, we've been doing this for three years now, we've gotten over 160 articles written. Uh, I think uh, the last time I checked, and this number has grown substantially, we had a great article that came out in the Chicago Tribune, which of course is a syndicated paper, so it came out all over the United States in different places. Uh, but we got about two point, I think it was $2.9 million worth of publicity and reached over 665 million um, people throughout the United States with these phenomenal articles. So um, again, uh, if we're talking about really working with the media, like um, Mike said, you know, we know if we can bring people to Lodi um, that they will write positive things. They'll have a phenomenal time, and uh, we always get some great press out of that. And Rob, you had a follow-up to that? I did, and it, and it is very to your point, Mike, about um, what we have here in our region. So for the first eight years at PBS here, I also reported for the national show America's Heartland. We had to go to all 50 states to find, this is the truth, 25% of what we have here in our region. All 50 states to do stories on what we learned about in Sacramento in the Central Valley in Northern California. Because we had all these ideas from here and then when this was a national show, we had to go find them nationally and it was hard to do and we had them all right here. Uh, all right, so I have a question about the food, food focus and obviously farm to fork, uh, bridge dinner, Mich Michelin. Um, I think there's been some people, and, and Mike, this, this might be for you first, but then everyone else can chime in if they want, about how you bridge, no pun intended, I guess the fine line, if there is one, about putting on events that are a little pricier, Tower Bridge. Uh, not everyone can get in. I think it's uh, right now for the September dinner, $425 for two people. Uh, four fifty. Four fifty. Okay, and then uh, Michelin. I I I I know a few people were like six hundred thousand dollars was paid um, because obviously Michelin has to have anonymous reviewers go out and eat. This is for all of California, not just Sacramento. But a lot of money was spent. Um, so for I guess this is a two part question. Where do you decide? Okay, higher end is. Um, is what some of these events want to be, but we also need to think about people who may not have $450. Where where do you go in terms of getting foodies with budgets um, without alienating people who may stay? So that's part one. Um, actually, let's start with that. So Mike, I, let's have you start and whoever else wants to chime in. So I, I think the thing that people miss about the Tower Bridge Center, it's a fundraiser. It funds the two-day festival the day before that last year had 140,000 people attend free festival. It's free to everybody except for Visit Sacramento. We pay a half a million dollars to put that festival on and the bridge generates some of the revenues for us to be able to do that. So, you know, I've been asked that question a lot, obviously, over the last seven years. And yes, it is a high ticket price. And there are events in town that have a much higher ticket price, including events at the Crocker Art Museum. They're all worthy causes and they're all fundraisers. And not everybody can afford them, and not everybody can afford to go to the Super Bowl or to Disneyland, but that doesn't mean you don't do those things. And the Tower Bridge Dinner has been such a publicity catalyst and an incredible fundraiser for what we're trying to do. And would I love to open it up to everybody? Yes, I would. But the double-edged sword of that is, 
it would lose the exclusivity that it has, which is what drives the attendance. So a public ticket is $225. We sell tables of eight to sponsors for $5,500. That means it's more than $600 a seat. The general public wouldn't and shouldn't pay that. But to get that from corporate sponsors who believe in the mission of Farm to Fork, who believe in what it's doing for this region, gladly pay those fees. And, and again, people lose sight of the fact that the festival for the two previous days that brought more than 140,000 people to it was free. The only way to keep that free is to get sponsors to help us cover those costs. And so then, yes, I guess a, a relevant question then for you, Nancy, and John are, uh, your towns are still agricultural towns. But you also had this fine dining, wine, you know, a little, a little bit of higher end. Is there a balance that you need to uh, keep in mind in terms of we want to pitch um, the bucolic farm town, but we also want to appeal to the people who um, want a little more, you know, higher end dining accommodation? Is that an easy balance, or do you have to sometimes, you know, uh, do things differently or think things differently through? Does that make sense? All right, Nancy, I guess we'll put you on the spot first. Yeah, um, you know, Lodi is, is not at this point known as kind of a foodie town. I mean, that's some place that we, that's, that's, that's kind of the discussions that we're having right now, um, how to bring in more restaurants, different types of restaurants. Um, you know, obviously we have Wine and Roses, which has a world-renowned chef, um, and uh, there is a large, you know, ticket price or a, a large price that goes along with that. I mean, it's not inexpensive to eat there, even, and the food is phenomenal. Um, but, you know, we have found that, and, and I know this myself because I consider myself a foodie, some of the greatest food experiences that I have have not necessarily been at Michelin star rated restaurants. Um, and so uh, we do have a walking, a food walking tour in Lodi, which gives people an opportunity to try different restaurants in our area. Uh, and I really think that um, as we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, opportunities for foodies in Lodi, we try to really talk about the unique places that we have and the unique things that you can find on the menu. It's not really for us all about being fine dining. John? So in winters, we have the spectrum. Uh, in 2009, the Buckhorn Steakhouse was named the number one independent steakhouse in America. Um, the quality off the hook, prices relatively uh, reasonable. Uh, Puda Creek Cafe, diners and drive-ins and dives, if you can get on that. Uh, it's all true. There's a wave of people every time that show shows uh, on the Poudre Creek Cafe. Um, uh, but I, I would say that we are right in the, the middle on things. Uh, Preserve, uh, which is absolutely a phenomenal restaurant. They um, focus entirely on local and seasonal. And, you know, as, as I drove here tonight and as I'll drive home, I'm going to drive through sunflowers and orchards and tomatoes and melons. And as people come to our area, they're going to be hungry when they get to winters. And there's a huge spectrum 
that uh, of, of food choices that we have that are not super high dollar. And uh, I think that's one of the things that people love. Um, you can go to Park Winters, which is off the hook. Uh, as far as the quality and it is that fine dining dinner that's the one where you go and spend four or five hundred bucks a night uh, for dinner but uh, on the norm people come to winners because it's it's reasonable and it's very real okay can I just add to that? One of the things that we talk about with Farm to Fork, I asked Patrick Mulvaney this seven years ago when we started, which restaurants are Farm to Fork? And he said, all of them. That's how they source here. So it's not just the fine dining. It's Pizza Guys sources their tomatoes from farmers in this market. The food trucks are sourcing from local farmers. It's, it's, it's like what Rob said. It's the difference of this region that everybody's buying fresh directly from the farmers. You know, Cisco has been a sponsor of Farm to Fork, and, and we got a little bit of a hard time for that because it's Cisco. Well, who do you think Cisco is buying produce from that they're distributing to the rest of the country? Local farmers. So it's everybody. It's not just the fine dining places. I'm going to open it up to questions from the audience. Uh, so if you want to line up uh, by the mic, I'll ask questions uh, while I wait for your great questions. Uh, so I had a question actually about accommodations. Mike, you had mentioned that it's something the Sacramento needs more of. And I'm not sure if this is something where... Uh, your towns have have hit that mark yet of concern but obviously airbnb uh, i love using it but i'm sure a lot of cities and a lot of residents next to those airbnbs have been um, making a lot of noise about how airbnb can be good or bad and i think a few european cities are like we don't want any more so this may not um well this may bubble up it sounds like it probably will be if it's not already in a place with um that needs more accommodations, uh, Airbnbs are one option, but that might just be an irritation for residents. Um, if you need more accommodations in your towns, where do you think uh, they should come from? And how do you view Airbnb? Is that a good thing? Does it have pitfalls? Um, what are you seeing in terms of accommodations in your respective towns? Who would like to start? Yeah, I'll John. start. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, really mixed bag. And now in winters, the Hotel Winters, uh, are a beautiful boutique downtown hotel is opening on September 1st. So uh, uh, get ready to uh, stay and, and really enjoy our downtown. Um, the, there's a, a mixed bag with the Airbnb. Obviously, there's uh, there are really good people that come and stay there, but there, there are a lot of folks who want to party and, uh, in the residential areas. But for the most part, uh, we're embracing uh, you know, that whole sharing economy, you know what, for the most part, it works. Nine and a half out of ten, uh, uh, there's not going to be a single issue. So we've been kind of working through it, but without question, people need to be able to come to your town. They need to be able to stay there, and there's a, a new normal out there and it, whether it's vrbo or airbnb i'm sorry millennials really are changing the world in good and bad ways and part of that is they want to go and stay in somebody else's bedroom for some reason mike <laughs> yeah, so downtown austin has about seventeen thousand hotel rooms downtown indianapolis has about nine thousand downtown hotel rooms sacramento has 2200 so for a lot of cities we we can't compete and and airbnb becomes valuable. If you look at things like trying to host the NBA All-Star Game, Airbnb is valuable. Aftershock drives a ton of Airbnb business. I think the challenge for us is the playing field with hotels and Airbnb is not level from a funding standpoint. More than 60% of my budget comes from local hotels. 
Um, we use that budget to market things like Aftershock, to bring in conventions, to bring in sporting events. Airbnb doesn't pay anything into that, but they get the benefit from the people coming in. So our argument has been if they can help us fund, we can bring more things to the market. So, again, I think in every city it's valuable. You know, I travel outside of Sacramento, and I've stayed in Airbnbs, and it was great. I've got two small children, and, and it was much better than a hotel. But I think the, the playing field not only in Sacramento but across the country needs to be a little more leveled because – they don't pay their fair share for the benefit that they're receiving. So does the city of Sacramento or Visit Sacramento talk with Airbnb? Have there been discussions at least? There's been a number of them, and there's been a number of discussions in other cities, San Francisco and, and across the country. I'm actually going to a seminar um, next month to talk about Airbnb and, and how you get them a little more engaged. You know, I, I understand from if I'm a private homeowner and I'm Airbnb Airbnb my home, I don't want to pay extra taxes on top of that. I get it. It's a business I'm trying to run. But I think it's that equation of you're getting something that you're not paying into, and you can get more if you pay your fair share. So um, it's it's a valuable commodity, and it's not going away to, you know, to his point, millennials stay there, and, and you know, Generation X stays there too. It's only going to get bigger, but at some point, um, cities and, and Airbnb are going to collide. Nancy. We, um, Airbnbs uh, or VRBOs, uh, they're synonymous in my mind, um, they are the fastest growing uh, lodging that we have in Lodi over the last couple of years. In fact, we have, to date, we have 55 properties and 32 of those are vacation homes. Um, our city, we do collect tax on that, uh, VRBOs and Airbnbs, they do pay the TOT tax and they also pay into our uh, business district, which funds uh, our association. Uh, and because they're paying into it, uh, they are a little, they're very actually more engaged uh, within our city and within our organization. Um, and those are, when I say we have 32, those are only the ones we can actually, that we're tracking. They're within the city limits. You step outside the city, city limits and you get into the county areas and there's way more than that, that we don't, they're not paying the city fee and they're not paying into our bid district. So we really don't, um, don't associate you with them. We don't make referrals to them. I will say that currently our city and our hotels and most of the residents are very supportive of the B&Bs. I mean, there is a role that they play. Most of them, uh, we have a, a large majority of those that fall within the downtown, uh, downtown, just outside of our downtown area. So people can now come into the downtown. They can come in by train. They can, um, uh, they can come in, they can park, they can walk into the downtown, they can go to the wineries that are there, the restaurants, shopping, everything is right there and they never have to get in their car. If they want to go to the wineries outside in the county area, they can hop the SIP shuttle bus or hire a, a driver uh, to take them out there. Uh, we haven't had uh, many problems. There's been one issue that's come up and ended up in the news and, and that is uh, with one Airbnb on one street and the residents are totally up in arms and do not want um, that Airbnb there. Other than that, uh, the city doesn't really regulate it. There's no regulation on those at this time and uh, everybody's very positive about it. Great. Uh, John, did you have something to add or did? No? Okay. How about a question at the mic? First one at the mic, please. Yes, I think the one, this is tying into the lodging, and I came here specifically this evening. My name is Lisa. I'm a 
fourth generation Sacramentan. And one of the things that was on the, that brought me here was a remark that Sacramento does not have a high end RV park that is, at, that is in the city environments, not the county, the city. I will compliment winners. The Lake Solano County RV Park is marvelous. There are 10 couples, myself as I'm going, in October to your big festival. We love Lorenzo's Market. We love downtown. I love the, both the hardware stores. I love Winter's Drug Store because it's funky, it's old, it has character. I go there. I would say the same thing about Lodi. And so my question would be not so much for you because you have what I consider a really terrific setup. But for the city of Sacramento and for, this, for Lodi itself, um, is an RV park under consideration for another um, way to, to visit, to stay, for people with dogs and that, you know, just have that capability? And I would say in, you were just talking about the walkability in Lodi, I would say if you have that, put it so someone will walk out of the thing or do what Calistoga does, which is has a little bus, and for a buck, they will pick you up at your RV door and they will take you to any of the restaurants or, or wineries and bring you back to that door so that you don't drink and drive. Uh, Lisa's referring to a comment on Facebook someone made about, yes, more RV parks, and it did dis uh, generate a discussion about, uh, yes, I think West Sacramento has a KOA, but, oh, it's not that great. So I thought that was interesting how uh, my parents used to have an RV, and it was very mobile, but uh, for your general towns, how much uh, is RV, RVers, uh, as a uh, tourism group, uh, do you have amenities for them, or, or yurts, or other types of like alternative uh, lodging? Are those things that you're looking at, or, or have that, that people may not know about? So RVs and other interesting... Nancy, would you like to start? Um, yeah, I... Um you know, we do, we don't have any, we have two places really where we, we have our viewers come into. One is, um, obviously, we have a space out at the Great Festival Fairgrounds, which is right outside the downtown area, and we oftentimes get big RV groups that come out there and they camp out there. They're literally within walking distance into the downtown area. They come into the visitor center. They want to do wine tasting. Um, we also have uh, RV, uh, we have a, uh, some grounds uh, out to the west, um, almost to I-5, um, out, um, out at the Flying J out in that area. And I know less about that except that we get, I don't, I don't think that's probably a very attractive place or necessarily, uh, did I just say that on a podcast? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I do know that we get a lot of people into the visitor center. Now, I'm not an RVer. I like to camp in, you know, I just camp in my tent. Um, but so I don't know as much about the Flag City, except that we get a lot of people from there. And so we try very hard, you know, I have staff that run visitor guides out there. We try to make sure that we accommodate them and bring them in as much as we can just to make sure that they are, they're able to refer us as a resource to their visitors because we realize that is a, a great source of visitation for us, we get people all the time coming in that are that are staying at one of the RV at one of the RV places there. Um, short of that, there is um, you know there's a couple of places where RVs can park out at Lodi Lake, um, but they have to have a group of ten. 
in order to do that, which is really unfortunate because that is a beautiful spot. No other plans in place at this point for any other RV, um, any other RV facilities, but as I said, we do reach out. I have staff that are, you know, my staff is in touch with them. We go out, we make visitor guide deliveries. They've called us on occasion for uh, things that they've needed from us, and, and we try hard to accommodate that group. Uh, I would just say I don't know what the city or the county have planned in that regard. Um, it's not something, candidly, that's been on our radar, but that doesn't mean it, it shouldn't be. Um, you know, when I took over the role two years ago, the approach was to take a more holistic um, approach to visitation in the market. So we weren't just the one trick pony with conventions. And, and we've done that. We've done that with the music festivals. We've done that with sporting events and, and the food scene. And this is probably the next next natural conversation. Obviously, you and I talked before. You gave me some information that, that I'll give to our tour, tourism director. Um, we want to make it really easy for everybody to visit Sacramento. And there are, to, to Nancy's point, there are a ton of RVers that go across this country. My predecessor who retired, the first thing he did was bought an RV. Um, so th we know it's a market out there that, that's fairly untapped. You know, there's, there's a spot at Cal Expo. It's not something that, you know, it, it is on the level that you're talking about. The KOA is the same thing. Um, so there's some very minor options in the region, but it's, it's definitely something worth exploring. John? Yeah, so in winters, we are blessed. We have uh, Canyon Creek Resort up by Lake Berryessa. We've got Lake Solano. Uh, we've got uh, some of the expansion of places for people to take their RVs up at Lake Berryessa uh, coming around. I'll tell you that we are... Uh, we've been negotiating with one, we have a uh, second hotel that's being built in Winters, and uh, adjunct to that property, we have specifically been encouraging them, hey, put in uh, an RV parking area uh, adjacent to the hotel. The idea of being able to share like a pool and, and those types of things, uh, uh, absolutely embraced all that. Uh, um, uh, we've got a very good uh, collaboration with the folks up at uh, Canyon Creek. Uh, at Lake Solano. Uh, it really is all about the people that need to travel with their pets and uh, mostly uh, the thing that's great, those people have a lot of money. Those, the, 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 those campers are not inexpensive and uh, uh, so no, we've, we, we embrace it and, uh, and, and we love it. And I have a question. I'm going to start with Rob on this one. Um, this, this ties into this, I think maybe there's a generational difference. You know, we were mentioning Airbnbs and Gen X millennials, and now I guess Gen Zs are uh, the hot new young market to target. Um, RVs, maybe all ages, but I sense it's a, a little older, uh, a more, a little more money. Um, but Rob, when you see, uh, when you travel around, how cities and towns are marketing different things to different generations, um, are there any particular places or towns that um, maybe go for a particular uh, demographic or age range um, or or not? Uh, just any notes? I'll tell you where I noticed that is in neighborhoods. I think that the next one of the next big things for Sacramento could be the celebration and the uniqueness of our neighborhoods that could grow into, I mean, just look at what happened on R Street and that revitalization. Yes, prime location, but it was a celebration of what some of the roots were there, the warehouses, the fire, uh, the ice blocks, um, all of that. I, I think that when you celebrate a neighborhood, then 
places to stay come out of that. Restaurants come out of that. Um, and some of the flavors of that neighborhood do as well. I mean, right across the street, Adamo's here has some of the best lasagna in town in, in all of Sacramento, and it's just right there. Um, I think that neighborhoods could be celebrated more. I think that, uh, yes, there is a need for RVs because nine times out of ten on a Monday, our parking lot has several at KVIE <laughs> um, that are leaving because they've looked for a place to park. And it's a large place, so there's a large, lot of parking there. Um, but I do see people marketing to specific groups when it comes to a festival or something. Um, I, will, I did go to several years back to visit California for a pitch for funding for, for my show. And they said no because they fund, all of their money was being spent in Europe. And Visit California is, I guess, the, the statewide tourism bureau, Visit mm -hmm. California. Correct. And that, but all of their budget that year was going to Europe to bring people here. So, I mean, like, the marketing is going worldwide, and they had targeted certain types of groups of people to come here, wine lovers, and that's of all ages. John? So, in winters, we're very accessible. And the one thing we've learned about the generations is um, maybe the boomers and, and the Gen Xers, they like to eat and drink. So that's, uh, we, we've got that covered. But one of the things we've absolutely learned about all the millennials, they want to know where their food comes from and they want to meet the person that's made it. And in winters, you can go to any of our, our wine rooms uh, and you can meet the winemakers, you can, the, the folks that are actually producing things. When you go to our restaurants, when you go to the Buckhorn, you can meet Joe the Butcher, who's the in-house butcher uh, uh, for the Buckhorn. Uh, you go out to Berryessa Brewing and you meet Chris Miller, uh, who is just absolutely rocking it as far as uh, 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 craft beers go. And that's one of the edges that I know that Winners has, is that people uh, that are not only blogging and social media everything, uh, the ability to come to Winners uh, or to any place where you can actually meet the folks that are either growing the food or making it or whatever they're doing, it's right there. And uh, as they go to the farm stands uh, that, that are around Winters, they go and they're, they're meeting real people. And it gets back to that idea of the experience. When they come, then they're not only eating the best, but they're also meeting the people that are, are growing it. And that enriches the whole experience uh, of coming to the town. Because uh, there was two trends that I saw recently, uh, agri agritourism and cannabis tourism. And I was going to ask you about this because uh, it seemed like that's a growing trend. Uh, agritourism, at least from what I read, is basically getting your hands in the dirt, like picking peaches, cleaning up the barns, making your own cheese. And that seemed to be a, 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 a buzzword. Uh, cannabis tourism, there was recently a New York Times story about how it's on the rise in, in many states, including California. I was wondering if either of these two, agritourism or cannabis tourism, are on your radar. Mike. Agritourism certainly has been for a long time. The, the challenge with agritourism has been that most of the farms are working farms, and so they don't have the ability to do tours. There are certainly some that have made that a business model, and, and a lot of the groups that we get, we call ahead and arrange something with the farms. In other words, you can't just go and buy tickets to do the farm tour, but if we can prearrange it with farmers, it, it goes over very well. With all the wineries, with all the craft breweries, they fall into that category as well. 
As far as cannabis goes, we've targeted cannabis conventions. Um, we've not gone down the road of setting up cannabis lounges and, and things like that for people to come use the product. You know, the, the challenge is somebody coming from out of state who my counterpart in Denver said they don't get a lot of people anymore coming to Colorado just to smoke pot. They may do that while they're there, but that's not what's drawing them there. And so, you know, the, the challenge is if somebody comes to California or Sacramento and, and buys cannabis, they can't go smoke it in the Hyatt. So, you know, where do they, where do, they do it? On the street? And, and that's the argument for getting lounges, that they have to smoke it somewhere. But we don't want to be a pioneer in this regard. We are, in a lot of ways, a family destination. We don't want the reputation as something different than that. And that doesn't mean it's not welcomed or people aren't allowed to do it, but it's not a, a marketing platform that we've landed on. Rob? Northern California has more agritourism experiences and opportunities than anywhere I've ever seen. Um, and that is, a lot of it is our perspective about agritourism because our farm to fork capital status here as Mike said, so many of those farmers will, if you arrange it, they'll have you out there, but so many of them are established as agritourism businesses. Um, we had a, there's a family that just moved from San Francisco three years ago to Lincoln. They grow their own hops. They're bringing hops back to Northern California and they're, uh, they're making their own beer and they're selling their beer and they have goats and they do goat yoga and you can stay there as well. I mean, you can, there's places that are celebrating the full family experience. As far as cannabis, I don't know how you could do that in 40, 24 hours, you know, grow it and, and pick it and do all of that. But, but, so I don't know anything about that, but I do know about the agritourism business and, it's, and that is that it's booming, you know. It's hard work. The people who own the agritourism, it's hard work. All right, let's get another question at the mic, please. Hi, I'm Jennifer. Uh, just building on what a lot of you guys have been talking about right now, I'm one of the, uh, on Airbnb, I give an experience. I do literary secrets of Sacramento. And just about a month ago, uh, the guy who runs the whole experiences division of Airbnb, his name actually is Guy, so the guy <laughs> came to town, uh, and basically what he told me was, look, Sacramento needs more experiences listed on Airbnb as experiences. So I would say to everybody in the room here, come on guys, uh, food experiences are what people, are what sell the best, probably literary experiences are way down there. Um, but, but food experiences, immediately I called some friends in the vegan scene and said, look, somebody needs to do a vegan tour of Midtown Sacramento. You know, I just was, um, you know, looking at my uh, Airbnb on my phone, and I didn't see any experiences for Lodi or Winters. So a lot of the people who are already doing agritourism could just easily go online and say, you know, goat yoga, come and learn about growing hops in Lincoln. It's just an additional way to market. But again, that was the plea from the guy at Airbnb. He said, look, I can show you the numbers on how many people are coming to Sacramento and how many people are looking, you know, for things to do, and we need more listed on, on Airbnb with experiences. That's a good point. I, I, I use the Airbnb experiences too when I go uh, uh, to, well, Europe, I, I, I went on a few, it was great. In terms of experiences, marketing them in your towns, uh, how are you doing it now? How do you think it should be done? What would you like to have more uh, experiences done by individuals uh, or groups or organizations in, in Winters Yolo, I'm sorry, Winters Lodi in Sacramento? Experiences, Nancy. 
Um, well, obviously, I'm going to have a discussion with our Airbnbs, you know, next week. I love the recommendation, uh, the thought about that. Um, you know, we're obviously uh, not, uh, maybe we're not doing as good of a job as we should be to get the word out there because we have literally dozens of farms in uh, San Joaquin County uh, where there are all types of different experiences. Um, we have them listed on our website. Uh, the visit Stockton CVB, they put out a farm trail guide, which, you know, is very comprehensive for our county. And so we, we, you know, pass that out at our visitor center. Uh, I know that one of the things that we would like to see more of is food experiences at the wineries. And there is a, uh, obviously a community group, uh, the Wine Grape Commission, um, uh, the uh, Chamber of Commerce, ourselves at Visit Lodi, um, the Winery Association. We've recently have been meeting and talking about uh, how we can hopefully um, develop some of that at our wineries. Some of that is very limited by our winery ordinance. Food is very, it's a big deal. Uh, there are some organizations in our area that are concerned about, they're afraid that at some point we'll have a, a commercial restaurant in ag area and as you can imagine there are people within the ag industry that don't want that to happen and so our winery ordinance at this time is very restrictive but we do have some plans um, and it's too premature to 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 kind of talk about the direction that we're going to head but but that is definitely on can, our radar. can i just add a quick note to what i was saying so my understanding from what guy the guy was telling me is that when somebody is searching for an airbnb in in you know down in lodi what's also coming up to them are the experiences that are available so it's just free advertising and it doesn't have to be the people who are doing the bnb you know the airbnb housing but rather somebody who has developed maybe a tour taking people around so again it's it's like free marketing that's the only way anybody's ever finding out about me is that they're searching sacramento and boom here comes Literary Secrets of Sacramento. On so, the, Air, on on the Airbnb. Airbnb site, yeah. So again, free, free advertising for whomever it is that's doing it. It's a real easy way to get it started. All right, um, well, we're, we're getting close to our hard stop. So how about a next question at the mic? Okay, sure, thank you. Hi, my name's Jody. I'm not a native Sacramentan, but I like to say it's my adopted city. Love Sacramento. I'm a happy denizen of the R Street corridor and have been since we moved here. So I've seen the development in R Street as well as downtown. And I actually want to ask a question, kind of going back a little bit, this was touched on earlier, about sort of the level of experience, not necessarily in terms of quality, but in terms of cost, and sort of also how does that impact in terms of equity and some of the challenges we're dealing with, and I would say in particular in Sacramento, because that's what I'm most familiar with. But when we bring in new business, we bring in new hotels, we bring in the Golden One Center, we bring in maybe additional sports fields and things like that. Yes, there's economic development. Yes, there's jobs created, but they're not necessarily high-paying jobs. And how do we support the folks who work in those industries, who work in the service industries, who work in those, frankly, lower-paying jobs? I mean, granted, in California, they're higher-paying than in other states. But I'm just curious to know from a, that point of view, especially from a CVB, 
how do you get involved with that? How do you help to make sure that you're infusing all levels of this awesome community with those improvements and with that sense of pride where we can all talk about how awesome Sacramento is and everyone really has an opportunity to enjoy it? One of the things that, that we've tried to do, um, we've seen a lot of people go to school here, whether it's at Sac State or UC Davis, and then they get their degree and they move away. And so we've tried to engage with both universities of creating hospitality programs and work with hotels and restaurants to give them options after they graduate to stay in this market. I think, you know, the, the, the question you ask about equity and, and minimum wage and salary and things like that are, are um, they go both ways. There's, there's restaurants certainly that say they are struggling with minimum wage being raised because the margin on restaurants is slim. And I think, you know, we've got some thoughtful elected officials that I think have addressed this and that have fought for um, residents that live here to make sure that they're earning a salary that allows them to afford housing. This is a California problem and this is a West Coast problem, certainly, and, and San Francisco is the extreme example of, um, my wife grew up in San Francisco and it's very different from when she was there. People can't afford to live in San Francisco and it's not necessarily a drug addict living on the street. It is a family of three who can't afford rent that's living in their car. It is a problem across California and it is a problem that is continuing to grow in Sacramento. Um, I don't have the answer for it. I, I wish that I did, but, I, but I, I will say that there are people, elected officials in this region who are dedicated to it and who are focused on it. Um, you know, I've asked the mayor the question a couple of times about the homeless challenges in, in downtown Sacramento. And his response to me and others, I think, is very appropriate. He, he looks at folks and he says, do you have a better idea? Because nobody does. I mean, you're, we're trying programs and, and some are sticking and some are not. Some work better than others. But I think if you don't have an obvious solution, you have to continue creating programs that start to, to create solutions at that. And again, I'm not trying to dance around your, your question here, but I, I don't have the answer. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anybody does. And I guess I'm curious to know if you've ever heard feedback that that's a deterrent. Because certainly in the time that we've been here, we've seen more homeless on the streets and we've seen more businesses downtown, especially ones that have closed. Now all of a sudden they're putting these gates up over them because they don't want people sleeping in the doorway of these businesses that are closed. Now granted, maybe they could reinvest in the business and open it and that would help Help with the issue but it's interesting to see that evolution over time in the 14 years we've been here so I'm wondering if you ever hear that feedback when you are trying to market to certain groups we have definitely and certainly there's people moving from San Francisco to live in Sacramento because it's cheaper and they're commuting to, to their jobs in San Francisco which is just crazy to me and that's a risk and, and something that I think a lot of us are aware of in Sacramento that we are not San Francisco and we're not Los Angeles and we don't want to be either of those places. I think part of what makes Sacramento special is the fact that it's accessible. And if we lose that, if you gentrify across this region, you're going to lose what makes this, this community and this region unique. And so, um, you know, again, the best I can say is it's on folks' radar. And, and Austin, Texas is a great example, live music capital of the world. And it was a place for starving artists to go. And now most of those musicians cannot afford to live in Austin. And that's something that, that you have to be aware of in Sacramento. You can't price the people who make the city go out of the market. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. It was on my list of questions to ask. And I did want to ask also, thank you, Mike, uh, um, John and Nancy, too. You know, Again, we mentioned the, the small towns, agricultural towns, but 
Winters is right next to Davis, which is very expensive, right? And people are looking for places to live. Uh, Bay Area is moving into the Central Valley and probably Lodi is a place. So then you have locals who are there who are being affected by the, the, the good things that come, but also it could change how they do. So how do you, how do you address that? Uh, how do you make sure all, all boats rise with the tide? John. So I, I, I will share with you that I, I sit on the executive board for uh, the city managers uh, for uh, the entire state of California. Housing and homelessness are the number one issues. They unquestionably. Um, in winters, the way that we've, we've worked to address it is by trying to find ways of building affordable housing uh, for, for folks to be there. But also, kind of getting back to our, our main topic, one of the things that we really stress, um, we are a, absolutely a food culture. In our high schools, they have culinary programs, but we actually bleed that off into um, a lot of job training programs that we are doing in the community that are geared towards hospitality, soft skills, training people, because it really helps when people come to your, your community and they are the concierge for whoever is that visitor that's coming there, that they can say, hi, and where are you from, and what are you here for, and what can I tell you about this area? You know, vitality is a very important thing in a town like winners we are mostly uh, family owned businesses we aren't chains uh, the buckhorn we're we're the home of the original buckhorn there's a lot of buckhorns uh, uh, around but where you can build the vitality where we have the ability for our people uh, uh, who graduate from winners high school that can come back and work and, and, and be successful, that's a key emphasis for us. And, uh, but the, the, the housing uh, and homelessness crisis, I, I unequivocally, it's the biggest issue. And the, the, you know, the gentrification of areas, let's face it, you know, in, in San Francisco, they're getting tired of stacking people 20 high in apartments. That doesn't work anymore. And it's, it's, it, I, I know the governor and the legislature and cities are looking at it. It's, it's a, a, a major issue because, um, you know, the, the most amazing thing, I have two 20-somethings, uh, uh, and right now neither of them can move home. And that is a really difficult deal. Uh, Nancy, quickly, and then we'll have one last question, which should be a good one because it's going to end our discussion. I I don't really have a lot to add to that. I will just say that you know when we one of the things is that our chamber of commerce in Lodi is specifically focusing on two things: bringing in higher-paying jobs to our area, um, and then also to um, they are working on programs to encourage education of our residents so that we have a, a, a better educated workforce within our area so that we're not pulling people in from out of the area. They're working, that's a two-fold thing that they're working on currently. All right, and our last question. Uh, my question that kind of ties some, it's kind of a follow-up to all of these questions. I wanted to go back to Airbnb quickly. And one of the ways like I really don't want to be like San Francisco and LA is that Airbnb has hollowed out the housing market. 
uh, kind of from the inside, especially at the low and the medium end, where that's going to be single family residences and people are making two to three times as much on Airbnb. And that is market pressure. And I don't see that going away either. But from a policy level or from a from a people who actually have power in your jurisdictions, is, is anyone look? I mean, is there any organization around looking at this in terms of bargaining in any way or just trying to prevent the worst of what's happened in the bay and because that's where i'm looking i'm looking at oakland and the bay and i got pri- i have a lot of friends that got priced out of midtown uh in the last couple of years i also did so uh yeah i just i'm curious if who's pay- if anyone's paying attention and if they are uh, who they might be so i can follow them on social media <laughs> i can Mike. tell you that that we're Paying attention as an organization, but again, we don't have a direct relationship with Airbnb. I wouldn't. Go I don't ahead. know if I would say that that's your job. I would think more on the mayor's level. I, I would encourage level. you to, to reach out to elected officials. That's who controls that. Honestly, I don't think our city necessarily has it on the radar screen at this point. I do. I, I do think it might be interesting to see because Airbnbs are really very due in our area. I mean, this is something that vacation homes, uh, all of these. I bet you we've opened up twenty of them in the last two years. I mean, it's just crazy how all of a sudden this is growing. One of the things that I am starting to hear, which is interesting, and this might combat what you're talking about, is I spoke with one of our Airbnbs recently, and we were just chatting about how things were going, and they said, wow, things have really slowed down this year, because they essentially said there's so many new properties that are opening up that they're just poaching off of each other. And so I I just am wondering if, and I know for a fact, I just added nine new ones to our guide, our visitor guide, and I know three more that are out there that people are currently working on and getting ready to open. Um, I'm kind of wondering if that problem isn't going to take care of itself because people are going to find that they can't lease it if we have that many come in that they won't be able to lease them and make the money to pay the house payment um, and they'll just we'll see people that are closing closing shop Um, but it's a good question I I couldn't agree with you more and I think it's probably different in Sacramento versus Winters or Lodi and and I do think if it's not monitored and regulated it absolutely will go down the same path as Oakland San Francisco yeah, I'll, I'll share with you. In, in winters, uh, we are in the process of putting together a regulatory framework for it. Um, you talk about the hollowing out of uh, of the market. Probably the hottest areas. I, I know that uh, um, if you go into the Napa Valley, they are really addressing that because um, you're absolutely right. Uh, there, there is a whole segment of the population. Um, you know, the the rental market is just getting completely nailed by this and obviously in the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, but the super hot areas are that way. Um, we, we don't necessarily think that that's going to necessarily happen in winters uh, in the near term, but it is a major issue because uh, you're 100% correct uh, that there are there is a segment of the population that could that needs to rent and simply isn't, and uh, it, it, it's probably, in many areas, exacerbating some of the homeless crisis. And th- this always seems to be something that comes up in every single discussion we have, no matter what the topic, housing and affordability, and uh, secondarily, homelessness. So obviously something that we're all grappling with uh, in these industries, uh, including tourism. So all right, uh, last quick question, three sentences from each of you. 
next event slash festival, whatever, in your respective area, Rob, you can cover all of Northern California, uh, the name of the event that we should go to, date, one sentence description about why it's so awesome. Um, who wants to start? Mike. Name, date, why. Okay, uh, and I'm doing three of these or just one? No, just one, just okay, three good. sentences. Uh, the Junior Olympics. Uh, 9,000 kids from across California doing track and field at Sac State starts uh, the week of July 20th. Um, open to the public, a lot of really, really good and talented athletes who get very excited to compete uh, will be at Sac State, and, and the public can go and buy tickets, and it's a, it's a really cool event. John. Okay, winters, uh, August 23rd. The Earthquake Festival uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in 1898, an earthquake came and completely leveled the town. And we've got to be the only city in, uh, in California that celebrates the date that the earthquake ruined the town. So um, yeah, that's on uh, Friday the 23rd. And uh, come, I, I will tell you, it is just one of those honky-tonk beer fests, rock band. It's kind of a mess. It's not the... Uh, okay, it, that's it, what, two sentences. So, Got yeah. it. And Rob's going to go cover that for Rob on the Road. Uh, that would be fun to cover, for sure. Um, but my our next event is um, actually a new show, and it's free, and it's called The Journey. And it is about human beings helping people being human. And it's one person, one show. They talk. We talk for 30 minutes about what must be shared, their experience, strength, and hope. For Starts sure. in September, so the sure. second week. All right. And Nancy, last word, last event? Uh, Lodi Summerfest coming up July 13th. It is a fundraiser for the Lodi Memorial Hospital Foundation. It is held out at Bear Ranch. It is a collaboration between the Hospital Foundation and Michael David Winery. So it's out at Michael David's Bear Ranch. So great food, great wine, great music. Hope that you will join us. Thank you again very much. Uh, I'm very excited to get in my car and drive around and see the wonderful Central Valley. Uh, we're going to wrap it up for the podcast. We'll do door prize later. Thank you again, panelists, for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Have a good night. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's pop-up panel conversation on travel and tourism in the Central Valley was held on July 10th, 2019 at Antiquity Midtown in Sacramento. Thanks to our panelists, Nancy Beckham of Visit Lodi, John Dunleavy of City of Winters, Rob Stewart of KVIE Television, and Mike Testa of Visit Sacramento for the great conversation. Thanks also to Antiquity Midtown owners Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose for hosting the event. Special thanks goes to Yvonne Richardson for bringing the food and to our local beer and cocktail sponsors, Roostaller Beer, Burley Beverages, and Can Can Cocktails for supplying the drinks. To our volunteers, Rodrigo Ramirez, Nicole Grant-Krieg, and Nate Graham, thanks for helping. You make this event run so smoothly. To the teams at Visit Lodi, Visit Sacramento, and Visit Winters for the great door prize donations. To Caleb Clark at Kickstart Audio for recording and producing the podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out what our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.